Hey, everybody. I'm so glad you're here. I am super excited to bring to you a story today that is unlike anything you have ever heard. This is the story of Leland Holgate. He became a quadriplegic once and a paraplegic once. He managed to heal himself both times using his breath. This is a story you do not want to miss. Leland Holgate. Welcome to Next Level Healing. I'm your host, Dr. Tara Perry. For 25 years, I've helped professionals, first responders, celebrities, Olympians, teachers, moms, dads, and people just like you achieve their results better and faster than they thought possible. This is where measurable modern science meets the quantum. We're so glad you're here. Let's dive right in. Hey everybody, welcome to this episode of Next Level Healing. I am so excited to bring to you today a very special guest who served with the United States Air Force and worked with the amazing elite forces. He became a paraplegic once and a quadriplegic once and both time using yoga and breath work and other healing modalities healed himself. So I'm super excited to bring you his stories. Welcome to Next Level Healing, Leland Holgate. Thank you for having me. It's an honor to be here. I appreciate you. So, um, you know, normally when I ask for a bio, I get sort of little short things. Um, I got like seven pages, <laughs> <laughs> which I really appreciate it because it was such a candid look of, uh, at your life and, um, you know, what it was like to grow up in a military family with tremendous amounts of stress what it feels like to have to live through um, not only protecting your own life, but protecting the lives of others that you're responsible for and care about and love um, and the emotional toll that that can take um, and all the work that you're doing in this area. Um, so take us back to the beginning. Uh, let us know what it was like growing up for you. Uh, and I know, I know loss and suicide has been a big part of your life. So for those that have are dealing with that in their lives, I'd love to be able to give them some tools. Yeah. Yeah. Um, starting all the way back, like you saw in my bio as a child, it was interesting to immediately see the effects of, of service to our country and, and what happens, especially with those that go to combat and not taking away from other veterans like my, myself or, or others who might not have been to combat, but just seeing the effects on my father, was visceral. And of course, at the age of five years old, I was just a big heart. You know, as a child, you're just, you're just a big sponge, you're a big love bucket. And all you're looking for is understanding, compassion, and love. And that's all I understood. So when I saw this side of my dad, it was interesting that I had this, this objectivity at five years old, though he was literally breaking my body and emotionally abusing me from the age of five on, I could tell it wasn't him. I had some sort of compassion for him at a young age, recognizing like, this is not my dad. I don't know what's going on, but he comes home. And then all of a sudden this pattern switches and it's Dr. Jekyll and, and Mr. Hyde, you know? Um, so it was very interesting to see from a young age. Uh, so of course that got to be my whole my whole childhood, you know, living on the edge, walking on eggshells, making sure you, you don't do anything to bring attention to yourself in any way. So you can just make it right under the radar. Um, 
So it was, it's interesting because a lot of people don't understand when I say my father was the nightmare of my life, but he's also my hero and still mm. is to this day because yeah. I know what he went through and, mm. and I know what he sacrificed. At least now I do, you know, mm-hmm. then I didn't, right. but now I know what he sacrificed and, and why he was so psychotic in, in that way that what he had seen and what he had been through and what he had done literally came home with him. Right. Yeah. It, it etched its, its energy patterns into not just his mind, but his body and became his way of being. And from that, that point all through my childhood, funny enough, wouldn't you know, I joined the military too, right? You get tired of being told what to do. So you join the military. <laughs> so it gave, but the moment I did that, I, you know, I knew I already had the compassion for my father and understanding that this isn't him. There's, there's something that's broken here that it's not him while what I'm going through sucks to have broken bones and and thrown off second story balconies and just to watch. He threw you off a second story balcony. Yeah. Yeah. There, there were many times it was, you know, something as simple as spilling the Kool-Aid yeah. Would, would just send him through the roof. You know, his nerves are already pegged out based yeah. on, on combat and everything that he had been through. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, just something as simple as dropping the Kool-Aid. And I went off a second story balcony because I was And you were in a that. very difficult position because you had a family members that you wanted to protect. So sometimes yeah. you were trying to avoid him at all costs. And other times you were trying to make yourself the target yeah. so that you could receive the blows instead of your other more vulnerable family members. Exactly. Yeah. Hey, guys. Studies are showing that 68% of people that watch podcasts regularly don't click the subscribe button. Do me a huge favor. If you like this content, click subscribe so other people know where to go for the cool stuff. Thank you. Yeah, oldest of five. So it was anytime I saw him going after one of the other ones, I just made sure he directed it at me because... I, I was already used to it. I knew I knew what was going on. I, somehow I, I was born with that capability to hold that space for him. So I didn't want him going after the other siblings or my mom. So you joined the military. Um, tell us what your experience was like there and why you took that time off. And then what happened? Yeah. Yeah. So 17 years old. Uh, dad signed the paperwork for me. Of course, he was proud. Uh, joined the Air Force. And the moment that I joined, really got a taste of why he was the way he was, at least just in small part. This is only basic training. So you're not going to you're not going to get the full picture of what it's like to be in combat just yet. But what they're training you for in basic training is combat. They're getting you used to being on a regimen picking up these these skills and just on automatic the moment that you need to act you can act and you already have these programs built in right and the, the military is and the CIA are the most epic at at brainwashing and programming and literally building you from absolutely nothing to the monster or machine that they need you to be so it was interesting just the first few days the moment I came in, I was like, oh, my God, no wonder he was such a psycho. <laughs> like, I'm OK, I'm starting to get it now. Like the moment you're there, you are no longer a person. You are property. You are lower than property. You are scum. You are just they take everything away from you. It's behavioral therapy. Right. And in the worst way, mm. they literally take everything away from you, vacuum away all of your rights, make you absolutely nothing and then build you up literally the way they want you to be. 
And that's when it clicked for me. I was like, wow, okay. He was literally running a program my entire childhood. He had nothing to do with any of that. And of course, when he comes back home from these deployments and tries to fit back into the, you know, the regular world, of course, there's going to be schism there. There's going to be some sort of controversy inside of what his mind and, and body are telling him to do and what society actually wants him to do. So it's interesting. So you went uh, and you discovered how trying this work is. Um, tell us about that mission that you were uh preparing for where you ended up getting thrown around like a, a gnat on a windshield. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It was interesting. Uh, so after, after basic training, I went through some specialized training, decided that I tested so highly that I could join anything that I wanted inside of the air force. They gave me pretty much carte blanche to pick my job. So I chose C-130 Loadmaster which is the enlisted side of basically controlling the aircraft, loading the aircraft, taking care of paratroop drops, uh, all the things that are, it's, it's just an amazing job. I could talk about it forever. Uh, but since I picked that job, it's in a specialized um, uh, force. So you have to go through a lot of specialized training. I had to go through POW training and SEER training, which is survival, evasion, resistance, and escape. Uh, some of the, the special forces trainings that they, they send a lot of our elite forces to. So once I got through with, with those, I was tasked to the most deployed squadron in the United States Air Force, especially the 61st Airlift Squadron. And we were sent over to Operation Anvil, if anybody remembers Yugoslavia uh, during the Kosovo conflict. We were sent in to uh, help stop that conflict. There were 500,000 refugees that were displaced from their homes. So, of course, we were sent in and tasked with the mission of stopping them from their horrible, horrible attack and, and basically opening up the, the, the road for now Kosovo and Albania to be free. So on the way out of this this combat zone. We're 17 miles over the enemy border and they made it very clear to the United States that they would use their surface to air missile sites. And they had quite a few of them on our way out of, of this area on our last mission, they lit up my C-130. And you can imagine if we're a fighter aircraft, you've got a little bit of a chance to get away from one of these surface to air missiles. If you're in a C-130, you're in a big flying cargo can it's just it's a, it's a monster. <laughs> it's like a, it's like a missiles wet dream. Oh my goodness. There's something that I can find and get. So we get lit up and you can imagine what we call the bitch and Betty, the, the machine and alarms are going off and they make these alarms. They're they're There's three levels of the alarms that are hitting three different tones. And it is just the most alarming sound you can ever hear inside of inside of your body, inside of your mind. You can feel it. Everything's going nuts. And all of a sudden, the plane just starts yanking and banking and uh, elevating and dropping because we're trying to make sure that we uh, we evade from whatever is coming after us. And now the scariest part is, is this may be counterintuitive to a lot of people, but when we're looking for the missile, we're looking to turn into that missile to use our wings to cover up the heat blooms that are our engines, right? So that's my job in the back of the aircraft is to look through this rear cargo aircraft and to find that smoke coming our way so I can tell them which way to turn in. So I'm in the, the wind window in, in the rear cargo uh, door there and just frantically looking, of course, because I know it's all dependent on me. If I don't find this thing, 
we're not going to be able to turn into it. We're not going to even have a shred of a chance. Everybody's looking to me. Everybody's ghost white. People are vomiting all over the place. It's, it's probably about eight to 10 minutes of absolute hell and sheer chaos. How many men were on that? like 18 hours. How many men were on that? Uh, we had 64 people on that. Good plane. Lord. Wow. Yeah. So you can imagine it was filled with Rangers in the back, uh, logistics troops, our, our air crew up front, and then the two of us in the back uh, in the rear cargo aircraft. So it was just absolute chaos and everybody is losing their crap. On the ground, you can at least hit desolate, you know, get behind something, hide and return fire. When you're in the air, you're just screwed. There's you're hoping and praying. <laughs> oh, God, please just let me get out of this. I promise I'll change my life. <laughs> and that went on for how long? It was eight to 10 minutes, but wow. I mean, there's this time dilation aspect sure. that happens, like, you know, whether you are in super blissed out mode or you are in super high beta stressed out mode Yeah, where a minute can be an hour and God, it felt like it was an 18 hour process. Just yeah, never ending. Like every fraction of a second. I, I just <laughs> yes, interviewed yeah, a woman was, who was hit by an SUV and she describes in great detail what it's like being on the hood of the car and then holding onto the license plate and then holding onto the axle underneath it. And this probably took a matter of seconds, but to her, you know, that you like, like you said, there's that time dilation. Oof. God. Yeah. It's, it's crazy how it happens. And of course now your nervous system is absolutely pegged out and maybe it was just a short amount of time, but your body is objective and it just processed 18 hours of stress essentially, like we're talking about in that time dilation aspect. So it was, you can imagine when we came back, thankfully they didn't fire on us. We had maybe a, a three to 10% chance if they had fired that missile, especially since we just took off. We weren't up to speed. We were gaining an, uh, you know, altitude and, and uh, velocity. We were done. So thankfully, they didn't fire on us. We made it out of that, that situation. But still that, I mean, you can imagine just that set the tone for the rest of my life. From that point forward, it was the most frightened I'd ever been in my life, the most helpless that I have ever felt in my life. Um, nothing to be done whatsoever. So that, that stuck with me for quite a while. And then you took your, uh, time off to recover from that. And then yeah. what happened? Yeah. So yeah, to, of course, lots to let off there. And you're talking about guys that jump out of aircraft. Uh, you know, we have, we have weapons, we're given explosives sent around the world, 18, 19 years old, and you have every power of in the world, right? And you're allowed to do all these things. So, of course, we can't just go for a walk or ride a scooter or something. We got to do something high rev to, to really just let the steam off. So we decided to go out to the lake and get one of the fastest watercraft that we could find. You pull behind it on an inner tube because that's always the smartest thing that you can do. <laughs> <laughs> so we're out at uh, Greer's Ferry Lake in, in Arkansas because I was stationed at the Rock, uh, Heber Springs. And we're having a blast. And the driver, I, I goad him to speed it up. And that was not the right play because he you could hear him rev the engine. And then all of a sudden the skips on my inner tube became fewer and fewer. And that's when it kind of set in like, wow, this is really stupid. What are we doing? And the moment that hit me, he cut left. And when he cut left, just like centrifugal force <laughs> will tell you and momentum slung me off of, of the inner tube. There was no holding on to that thing whatsoever. So at probably 40, 50 miles an hour on the water, that just turns the water into concrete 
there's no give to it whatsoever. And all I remember is water coming up and then absolute blackness. Why did he uh, everybody come on up? the shore said I looked like a, a folding chair just for a hundred yards pop, 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 over the top of the water. Why and, did he uh, ended up face down? And um, that was when I was gone. So I was dead for three minutes and 48 seconds. Wow. Uh, my friend and brother who saved my life noticed that I was bobbing face down and ripped his wave runner around, slept, pulled me up out of the water and just like wore me like a belt as he just sped into the, uh, the shoreline. And the moment that they got there, I was at least lucky enough to have a state trooper that was sitting in the park. So there was a state trooper in, in Heber Springs Park right there in that same spot. Thank you, universe. Um, the moment they got me in, they carry me onto the shore and he starts going at the revival process right away. Um, I had no, I wasn't breathing, no heart rate, heart had stopped, uh, pronounced. I was dead for three minutes and 48 seconds based on, on his account. And, um, I had this out of body experience and it was, Ooh. it was cool because I described it to everybody later and they're like, how do you, how do you know that he, he revived me in the most awkward and strange way. Um, it's kind of like, instead of regular chest compressions, imagine he used his knuckles and just hit me right in the chest where the heart is. And then he started doing this xylophone action with his, with his knuckles. Well, I described this to my friends and like, how do you know that? And I was like, I watched the whole thing. It was the most peaceful yeah. experience I've we've, ever we've had actually, in my life. We've had a several guests um, recently who have had near-death experiences, and, yeah. and it's incredible to hear the descriptions. If, um, yeah. so. and, and I'm sure they've said the same thing, right? Just yeah. absolute peace. Like all the relief you've ever felt in your life in one moment. Just mm -hmm. ah, like a welcome home feeling. You know, when you just, when you come home, you kick your shoes off and you sit on the couch in that overwhelming sense of peace times a thousand. It was absolutely and amazing. Not a suggestion to anybody out there to go ahead of their time because uh, there's also ample evidence that uh, that's not the way to go. <laughs> please, please. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Don't don't purposely try to experience this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So um, it was. Did you have the choice point to come back or not? Or or how did did you have a guide there? Because a lot of people are met by some spirit. Um, no, I had, I didn't really have a choice point. All I remember was it was, it was the contrast was absolute peace, business, <laughs> all, you know, oneness. There's the hard to just isness is the only way I can describe it. No wants, no needs, no, no thoughts, no concerns, nothing. Um, and it's peaceful, but also there's no peace. There's no, there's no nothing. It's just everything and nothing all in one. And, and there's awareness. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And uh, there wasn't really a choice. It was from that moment, though. And then I slam into my body mm -hmm. and the uh, the ambulance. That was mm -hmm. the next point that I remember. So I didn't really I didn't have one of those guide experiences like I've heard others talk about or, or the choice point to come back. Um, I was apparently it was not my time to go. Mm -hmm. <laughs> thank was, goodness, because you're helping a lot of people right now. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Yeah, it's an honor to do so. So, yeah, I think I think that was the universe saying, yeah, it's, it, there's no need for you to have a choice. You got things to do. It's time to go. So you're in the ambulance and then describe that. At what point did you realize you didn't have function of your body anymore? 
Uh, it didn't take long after I came to, cause of course there was the, it was like somebody body slammed me back into my body, just, you know, slamming back in eyes come open. I wake up with this horse collar around my neck. Um, so you can imagine just the sheer terror that sets in. I'm like, what in the hell? There's pa- the extreme pain right on this occipital lobe, the, the back part of your, your skull right here. And I'm trying to figure out what the hell is going on. Why is my head throbbing? what is happening? I've got a cotton mouth. There's what is going on. I'm, I'm disoriented. I feel like somebody just threw a, a flashbang in at me and I can't figure out where the hell I am. I'm trying to come to, and as I come to, I can hear the EMT asking me, can you feel that it's muffled and then starts to get, you know, more clear and more clear and more clear. Can you feel that? Can you feel that? And then eventually I just come to, and I'm like, what, what are you talking about? And he goes, Oh no. That's the last thing you want to hear a pilot, your EMT, your doctor, or your psychiatrist say, right? Oh, no. You don't want to hear any of those things. (laughs) 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 Oh, no, or watch this. You don't want to hear any of those people say that. So, yeah, he says, oh, no. And uh, right after that follows it with, I've been poking you everywhere with this hypodermic needle. Are you not feeling that? Or how about that? Are you not feeling that? And again, that was when that same terror when the alarms were going off, hit me again. Absolute and sheer panic came over my body. Oh my God, I can't feel anything. Where are my arms? Where are my hands? Where are my legs? Where's my body? And even to the point where as I swallowed, it was like I could feel my Adam's apple slightly disappearing or, or, or numbing. It was, I couldn't swallow all the way. It was, mm. it was the most interesting and frightening feeling I had ever had in my life. Um, and from that point forward, you can imagine it was a mixture of the sounds and sirens from my experience coming back from, from Yugoslavia and then sheer terror of not being able to walk, feeling like a prisoner in my own body, in my own mind. And that was, that was the next three days of my life. It was absolute hell. I wouldn't wish it on, on Hitler. I want to wish it on, on the worst person ever in history. It was absolute hell. Ah. I, I actually spent five days in the hospital paralyzed from the neck down. So then, you know, yeah. Um, and, and I was very fortunate because I had two people um, who were familiar with what I was going through. Uh, it was called Guillain-Barre syndrome. Mm. And, uh, and I managed to manifest the only neurologist in all of Los Angeles who told me exactly what I wanted to hear. And I just fixated on that and blocked out everything else, which I know is similar to what you did because you had also made a decision that this was not going to be you. Yeah. And so you said it was three days. What happened after three days? Yeah. So uh, three days. And unfortunately, on my experience, the doctor side of things was a little different. My doctor came in and vacuumed hope right out of the room. Right. Like, oh, you got my doctor in the hospital tried to do that. Um, Okay. so then, you know, he said to me, don't expect to get your body completely back. But because I had already fixated on what the other two guys had said, one of them was a neurologist who, right. who was had all the sheepskin on his walls, which is I, I needed to manifest one of those. And then one guy that just was brilliant and people went to for information all the time. And both of them told me exactly what I wanted to hear. So when the hospital doctor said, don't expect to get your body completely back, I made I literally made a giant red delete button in my brain and I went I pressed it with all of my mind. And I was furious, but I didn't let him on to him know that because, you know, this guy's, you know, like taking care of me. So. Right. Right. Yeah. No, that's, that's I, good. I was that back you... to work in three and a half weeks and I 
and I took a picture of myself doing a very difficult yoga goga pose six weeks later and sent wow. it to the chief neurologist. <laughs> That's impressive. Super impressive. And uh, another example of power of the mind and intention. My goodness. Well, it's like, what's the alternative? You know, right. if you're in a bad place, you know, yeah. might as well fixate on the very right. like like our hero, Joe Dispenza. Right. You know, right. With, with with all of his lumbar vertebrae fractured. Yeah. You know, he didn't just sit there and go, oh, my life's going to suck now. He said, I'm going to you know, there's only one option for me and that's exactly. full recovery. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And that was the, that was the inevitable find for myself as well. Uh, it was a little tough though, of course, because I didn't get the two guys that were on your side and, and told you what you needed to hear and what you wanted to hear. I just had the guy come in and tell me like, sorry, dude, C1, C2 contusion, silver dollar size. You're screwed. You can't heal spinal tissue. <laughs> you hit, you hit it in the worst place. No wonder everything turned off your heart shut down all these other things. Yeah, exactly. So he walks in with, you know, using the word maybe or it's a, a, a you know, slight possibility occasionally or something like that. But all these things that literally vacuum hope out of the yeah. room. Right. I'm 19 years old and I, I bought it. I bought it. It's it's an authority figure. As far yeah. as I'm concerned, I'm programmed. Follow yeah. authority. Listen yeah. to what they tell you. And this mm -hmm. guy just came in and told me I'm done. That's it. Let's start putting in wheelchair ramps. We're going to, we're going to get your showers converted. We're going to, you know, all these other things. Right. So I fed into it for three days and it was, it was again, a mixture of the experience from the mission and all of those sounds. Cause so you can imagine every time I even closed my eyes and started to drift into Delta that would pop up and then I'm back and I'm awake again and I'm experiencing these night terrors that are happening and I'm a prisoner in my body. So I wake up and of course you want to, move or do something. And then I'd wake up and then I would just cry mm. for hours and mm. hours. Cause I couldn't move. I couldn't, you know, it was, there was no escape which I can't escape any of these things that are happening. I can't escape my mind. I can't escape my body. Did you have anybody with you at this time? Was there a I had friends, I had okay. friends, but you can imagine I was so in the depths of my hell that I was mm. self-loathing. I was self-deprecating. Mm. There was, there was no consoling me. I was asking friends to kill me. I, I did uh, not want to live. I didn't want to do it anymore. You know, 19 yeah. years old, I had everything ahead of me. I had special forces hell week ahead of me. You know, I, mm. I could, I could have went to hell week and been one of the pararescue or combat control guys in the air force. And before I even get the chance. So just stuck with all of the, you know, the loss of course at that age and being told I'm never going to get the things back that are the basic and, and things that we take for, for granted, yeah. like walking or breathing yeah. on your own. And what was the I just, first, I fed into it. what was the first glimmer of light that you saw that gave you a sense that there was a, a possible other solution? Yeah, it was, if funny enough, the training the SEER training, never give up. You're not alone. Three strikes, you're not out. There's always one more thing that you can do. You're not forgotten. We are coming for you. Do not give up. Do not surrender. Continue to escape. Continue to evade. Resist, resist, resist. Wow. You are in control. Don't let them lie to you. And wow. all of that training came back. And immediately when, you know, third day, the doctor's in there doing his limiting um, life speech and everything else about how we're going to set up my house beautifully for the quadriplegic. Now it's just, it was an exploitive no doc. And in that moment that I just got fed up with, with talking about my limited possibilities, 
screaming out F no was, was everything I needed. All of a sudden my brachial plexus, this cluster of nerves in your, your shoulder right here lit up. And I got this wah of energy that traveled down my scalene muscles, both anterior and posterior. So you can imagine my eyes just flew wide open. And in that moment, I just interrupted the doc. I was like, doc, doc, I don't mean to interrupt you, dude, but I need you to get the hell out of my room. And Tony's out there in the hallway. I need you to tell Tony to come in here. I got to talk with my friends. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> that was it. That was all I needed. As soon as that happened, I was like, whoa, you don't know what you're talking about. Exit and uh, send my friends in, please. <laughs> wow. Yeah. So it was just that. That's, that's it was, like Dr. Joe saying, no Harrington rods. Thank you very much. Uh, I'm going to, I'm going to fix this with my buddies in a swimming pool. And yes, yes. It's, it's that it's again, just like you, that doctor told you the thing, but you already had your mind made up. And once you made up your mind, it's same thing. Myself, Dr. Joe, we made up our mind. And in that moment, the universe said, yeah, there you go. And this is also for the listeners out there. Uh, this is a personal, this is not medical advice. <laughs> no. This is a personal decision that you make given the best information that you have available to you. Um, sure. And it wasn't like Leland and I didn't uh, consult medical people. It's not like Dr. Joe didn't consult medical people. Sure. Uh, and, and you do make decisions based on the risk and reward of anything. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. I would do you. I would still go to the hospital if you get hurt. <laughs> yeah. And in your case, you know, w w there was no downside uh, to focusing on your healing. Right. No, exactly. And that was my thing, right? Like you had mentioned before, I have two choices. Give in. Yeah. Or imagine the impossible. Yeah. Happening. Right. Mm -hmm. It was like, what do I want? Well, I'm going to go for the impossible thing. Even right. though it's impossible, it's a lot better to focus on that. It makes me feel a lot better in here to focus on right. that and a lot yeah. better in here than to yeah. focus on, oh, I'm screwed. <laughs> and isn't it interesting that God, the universe source gave you that amazing rush of energy to say, Hey, maybe there's something to this. Yeah. Yeah. So, and you know, that was the thing too, that I, I really, I paid attention to, um, is I noticed in that moment too, I was like, Oh my God, thank you. Cause there's so many times the universe source, God, whatever you, you call it gives you those signs and you ignore them. Well, I had no other choice, but to answer and listen to this one, of course I was in a good position. So thankfully I did not miss that sign. And I was jumping on the bus immediately, you know, you, you were going to go. focus. Here's your, here's your proof. <laughs> <laughs> so then what happened? Yeah. So, um, from that point forward, it got even more magical. You can imagine I made up my mind. Now the universe was going to do everything that it could. It was going to pull out all the stops and in 1999, get this for, for chance, right? Yeah. There's coincidence in the universe, right? 1999 in the military, I get a physical therapist. He's a male. He's an Ashtanga yogi. Tell me the chances of that in 1999. Not, uh, well, there's like the chances of me getting a neurologist to tell me that my, you know, I mean, my guy didn't even tell me that I had a one third chance of my heart and breathing stopping. He just omitted that. He said, <laughs> well, go to the hospital because you might need some plasma. Holy crow. The hospital did every test imaginable. Um, you know, in in retrospect, I mean, I might have stayed home. <laughs> because <laughs> <laughs> my heart and breathing didn't stop and they did a whole bunch of tests on me that actually were not medically required um, and they were painful as all get out and uh, very invasive and potentially toxic but anyway that's another story yeah <laughs> why this is why i'm becoming a doctor because of these things <laughs> well um it's nice to have doctors that you know um will 
uh, stack the deck in your favor and let you know the risk and reward of what you're choosing to do. That's called informed consent. Yeah. Um, Yeah. And again, this is not medical advice for anybody. This is just information and this is our stories. Yeah. Yep, absolutely. And it's it's even the same thing that I tell my clients right now when I'm working with our warriors is I can't promise you what's going to happen. I can't even promise your result or what you're going to get. But what I can promise you is I'm going to I'm going to be right by your side trying as long as you don't give up. I will Mm -hmm. be right there by your side, walking step by step with you. And that's the doctor I want to be, the guy Mm -hmm. that walks in and gives you all the hope. Like, listen, it's a tough situation. You know it. I know it but I'm going to be right there by your side and we're going to try absolutely everything. And as long as you're willing to move forward, I'm right there with you. So you have the Ashtanga teacher. Um, yes. How, yeah. So what does an Ashtanga yoga master do with somebody who can't move their arms and legs? Focuses on what yoga actually is, right? And get this. So he walks in, I'm 19 years old. I don't know what yoga is yet. He walks in and starts talking about yoga and something called pranayama or breath work. So he starts talking about yoga and I just, I, you know, of course, furrow my brow and I'm like, dude, if I could move my legs right now, I'd totally kick you in the throat. You, you understand I can't practice yoga. And then that's when he started to impart on me that out of the 196, what they call sutras or threads of knowledge, inside of yoga, four of them are physical. 93 to 95% of them are all mindset and breath control. So when he hit me with that, I was like, ah, okay, all right, you got my attention now. So he wanted to start teaching me these breath techniques. And as we're doing some of the stretches and he's opening my hips or moving my arms to prevent atrophy and to help regain some, some activity and, and, you know, the nerves, He's, at, he's having me do these, these special breath techniques. So it comes, he has several of them that he's teaching me, some from Qigong, some from Kundalini yoga, some from Hatha yoga, uh, all these different ancient breath techniques, right, that are out there. Well, he has me go through my first round and it's literally just 10 to 15 breaths. And then he has me hold. And when I held and I did the hold, Wow. The things that happened, the same thing that happened when I, you know, yelled at the doctor started happening again. All of a sudden brachial plexus lit up. And then next thing you know, I started feeling a a flutter into the deltoids into the top, you know, part of my shoulder and arm over here. And again, that hit me. I was like, oh my God, what was that? And I was hooked from that point forward. So you can, as soon as he hit me with that first breath control, I was hooked. I wanted more and more and more. And even when he wasn't there, I was doing it. My goodness. <laughs> Phenomenal. And yeah, then it was epic. what was the first, I mean, uh, clearly you could feel uh, energy moving within you. And of course, we all know that the nervous system is electrical in nature. Um, yeah. And that's the energy that you're feeling. Uh, when did you, what was it like the first time you, I don't know, felt a part of your body or were able to move a part of your body? Because I remember I was just, you know, I had my situation happen for five days and you get you get really used to not having that control. So it's like you have to kind of go to the mind, hey, you know, move. (laughs) Right, right, right. Exactly. And then once you start doing it again, it's like, whoa, this is super cool. (laughs) Right. Yeah. No, it's it's literally it's whenever like you've felt and and uh, experienced whenever that happens and the nerves shut down, it is literally a reset. It's like you were just born again. You have to learn how to walk again. You have to learn how to, you know, you've experienced this. It's crazy. I mean, there were times that I felt like I had like an eagle had landed on my, my, uh, my, uh, shoulder and I, you know, I had to like, you know, move it out again and dance. Actually, I had 
studied belly dancing and and that actually helped me in the rehab process because nice. the body memory was there. Nice. And, and yeah. that's very, you know, it's it's very fluid. It's very, you know, you're moving your joints in all kinds of ways. And that was tremendously helpful. Plus, yoga was helpful, too. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's, it, it was it was epic. Uh, it was within the first two weeks. So I was I was getting a majority of that feeling back in, in the upper trunk. Right. So I started feeling top of my chest or I could start to feel my diaphragm as I was breathing, which was epic. That was crazy. Right. Because you it's an organ or your second heart. So you start to feel that that control coming back and just the breathing. I was like, what in the hell? That is the strangest and weirdest but most welcome feeling <laughs> I've ever felt in my life just to be able within the first two weeks to pump my belly and to be able to inflate my lungs even more. And then of course that exponentially increased how much I could do on my breath work. It increased how much I was able to hold. And then from that point, within the first two and a half weeks, I started lifting my uh, elbows and at least being able to take my hands up to about my, my uh, eyebrow area. Oh my God, so I had were... no fine motor skills. Everything was still dead on the hands. Yeah. I had quad flippers. But mm -hmm. within the first two weeks, I was lifting my elbows, taking my hands up. It was magic. Pure fine magic. Fine I, I know you know that feeling. Come back, you could just yeah. the buzz that was going through me. I was like, ah! <laughs> <laughs> um, so how close with the injury were you to, because I mean, not losing your ability to breathe was tremendous. Mm. Very much so. Yeah, there were points after the accident where they did have to help or assist in some way, I didn't lose full function, but thankfully the pre Botzinger complex, which is what happens in, in a lot of these spinal injuries, which is in the brain stem gets affected, which is what controls your rhythmic breath. So whenever that is knocked out and of course the ability, the lack of ability to move the diaphragm and all these breathing apparatus pieces. Um, thankfully I didn't fully lose that. I experienced what it was like to have, that limited, you can imagine probably about 40% of, of the ability to move or, or to be able to breathe because you can't move your diaphragm. So did they ever have you on like a assisted breathing or, or oxygen in or anything? The, in the ambulance, yeah. There were, there were times that I already had the tube in and they were helping and pumping with the oxygen. So, But was, in the hospital and, and past, you didn't have to have breathing No, assistance. thankfully I didn't. Thankfully I didn't. Wow. I got very lucky. <laughs> wow. Yeah, very, so, very lucky. So uh, just describe for us the progression. You get the the, the flipper hands and then, then what happened? Yeah, so um, it was, it's tough to like discern exactly when the, in the first two months, most of the upper body came back. But I started, I had the ability within the first two months to be able to ex at least to squeeze my hands. I couldn't get them to close all the way, but I was starting to move fingers. So I had full upper body control, little, you know, not complete, but full control at least. Um, and then from that point forward, after about two and a half months, I started feeling into my butt and I started getting pain in the back of my legs, which is always interesting because you're sitting there doing your exercises and then you're like, ow, that, ow, ooh, ooh that hurts. Okay, cool. That's <laughs> so, the first time that you enjoy pain whenever you're coming back from something. No, as an acupuncturist, I had somebody who had no use of his leg, uh, yeah. from an injury and, uh. It had been for 10 months and he, he had no money and his friend begged me to work with him. And I just gave him the service because I thought if I don't help this kid and I said, look, this is probably not going to feel good when when this thing goes from being a numb 
thing that you're dragging around to, you know, you getting the the energy back in there, it's it's going to hurt. And yeah. he's like, go yeah. for it. And he, yeah. I, you know, he he did all the work that I told him to do and we cranked on it and and he got m- almost all of his functioning back. I love it. I love it. Yeah, I've told people it's like if you want to experience what I'm talking about, sit on your foot for about five minutes. Just sit on your foot for five minutes. Let it go completely dead and then take it out, move your ankle around, you know, and and get the blood flowing. And if you've probably already done that in the past, but you can remember, what did you get? You got shooting pain. Mm. That's once it started waking up. Right. So those are the things that people that, that have their nervous system awakening feel it's this. And it was the most welcome pain you've ever had, right? Exactly. Exactly. Bring it on. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, exactly. Like it'll jolt you out of whatever you're doing. You're like, Oh, that, Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Keep that coming. (laughs) so um yeah that was the first two and a half months started feeling those those uh the you know the numbing pains in the legs and the pressure which gave me everything i needed to know from that point forward i i mean i already knew i was coming back i was getting it all back but that sold it within the first two months i was like oh yeah i'm coming back from this i just got to keep doing what i'm doing i'm already feeling my legs i've got full upper body control everything's back Um, and, and it's just piece by piece and piece by piece, everything started coming back. I mean, I was a crackhead. You can imagine I was breathing probably five to seven hours a day. A good crackhead. (laughs) (laughs) An oxygen crackhead. Yes. An oxygen crackhead. I was, it was just, yeah, I was a, I was breath work addicted and in the best way. Um, I tell people too, it was, it's actually funny because there are several times in both of those accidents when I was in the hospital that they would code me. But I wasn't coding. I was having an amazing experience inside of my breath work and my eyes are flipping into the back of my head and my body's convulsing in there. So it looks like you're having a seizure, right? Wow. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And what, so, what measuring yeah. devices did you set off? Was it a heart rate monitor or a yeah, or heart rate monitor? monitor? Um, most of the time, though, it was because I had it, it, I either pulled it off or like something in my arm, like a, just a spasm disconnected the wire from the machine. So, of course, (laughs) your healthcare workers must have thought you were just the wackiest thing ever, but they They couldn't help. They couldn't help but notice you were recovering. Right. Yeah, they did. Yeah, they were. They were amazing. Uh, I, you know, I was transferred to uh, to the base care within the first two months because I was doing so well. And from that point forward, it was, of course, like I said, they coded a couple of times, but then they figured it out and then it became kind of a joke. It was kind of funny. Like if you go in there and you see the guy flipping out, (laughs) it's fine. Don't hit the button. (laughs) Wow. So yeah, it was uh, within two years, I limped away from that one. I had a cane. It was, you know, I still occasionally needed to put some pressure on, on the cane and uh, was still healing things in the body. I couldn't feel my feet all the way. I had some neuropathy. Um, but I would say 93 to 95% recovery. That's dang, pretty damn good compared to what they said. <laughs> wow. Yeah. So then what, what did you do then? Oh God. So, uh, from that point forward, I continued with the breath work. Uh, but at that point, what I noticed was it was more of a, a physical thing, right? I was worried about getting my body back. That's all I was right. worried about. I right. hadn't handled the childhood. Right. I hadn't handled the, the deployments in the military. Um, namely the, that last mission abusive growing back. up and all that. Yeah, yeah exactly. I hadn't handled any of those things yet. 
So I hadn't found the psychological component of yoga right. just yet. And of course I hit a dark night of the soul. Um, I got my, my feeling back. I got the ability to walk back, but then I was out of the military. I had no purpose. I had no more brotherhood. Um, I was no longer what I once was, you know, I was no longer this, this highly trained and tuned machine that was, that was in, inside of a, a group of people and had purpose and surrounded and side by side with my brothers and sisters, I was on my own. So you can imagine it was quite the energetic flip and being disabled. Now I was limited on the jobs that I could do. I was limited on, on so much of the, so many of the things that I wanted to accomplish in my life. And I fell into, um, alcoholism easily. Uh, of course, the military had me on 13 different medications, antipsychotics, antidepressants, uh, benzos, you name it, anything for me to numb. Cause like I said, I hadn't found the psychological component. Right. So, what's the easiest thing to do instead of feel it push it away, repress it, numb it, just don't deal with it. So that's what I found myself doing. And inevitably the pills don't cut it. They can't take up, take you up to a high enough dosage. So I found myself on, um, you name the street drug and I was out there doing it. So that was a good decade of my life that just kind of vacuumed away in alcoholism and addiction. Um, still remembering, thankfully, you know, where I had come from and that one inevitable friend that you always get that reaches out and notices that you're in pain and gives you that chance or opportunity to turn it around. And in that moment, when that happened for me, I came right back to the breath. And that's when I had found the psychological component of the breath work. I had been doing it for the purely physical side for so long that I wasn't paying attention to the change in mind, not just body that was mm -hmm. happening as well. Right. And these things that I was bringing up to the surface were why I was taking the medication. It was so funny. I would do the breath work. And of course, you're shaking all of this energy out of your nervous system had come up to the surface. And then I just numb it back down. <laughs> so after a while, I finally figured out I had been doing this to myself. No wonder I had been self-medicating. You know, I was working these things out of myself. I wasn't paying attention to, to the childhood, to the, the things that were tough for me. I was just focusing on getting my body back and numbing everything else out. So it was, it was one of the most enlightening moments of my life. Um, but also at that rock bottom, like I'm sure you've heard many people talk about when you're at rock so bottom. it happened like that? It was a sudden realization. Yeah. Yeah. It was it literally within two weeks of my friend finding me homeless, laying on a couch um, to staying in his apartment and going through the DTs because I had decided that's like, yeah, what am I doing? I have to stop and just completely cutting everything off. No more alcohol, no more drugs. Uh, I don't suggest that either. Again, do yeah. not ever do that. That was, it was three to four weeks of absolute hell. Thank God I had the breath work. If I didn't have the breath work, to shift the you know molecular structure and, and hormonal profile in the body, I would have certainly died from the the shock to the system coming off heroin, coming off of methamphetamines and, and all of these other things. So I do not suggest cold turkey. Find a professional if you are dealing with addiction. Absolutely. Um, that can help you. But mm -hmm. um, yeah, it was it was an immediate shift for me. It was tough. But I knew that it was time again, all that training kicked in. What are you doing? You're not done here. There's more. Never, never give up. Resist, 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 evade, escape. Get out of this. What are you doing?
And so often the uh, relief is just on the other side of what you're afraid of, what you're avoiding. Yeah. Yeah. The other side, the other side of your fear. Exactly. Yeah. The three to four weeks, like I said, sucked, but all I had to do was decide and get past the fear of what I knew was coming. And then what was the time lapse between that and your next uh, challenge to recover physically? Yeah. Um, So it was about two and a half years from that point forward. Um, That was right around that time I had come back. I had gained my first yoga certification and to become a yoga teacher now. So it was now I had uh, at least a more visceral understanding and, and like connection to the breath and where it had come from. Now I had the two components mixed together. I was starting down the yoga path. I was even at the beginning of my neuroscience and psychology uh, studies as well, which I, you know, better part of a decade now been studying and mixing all those things together. And in the midst of all of this, it was kind of like a a jumble. Um, So 2016 is when my father committed suicide. And he was uh, one of the now 44 a day. It was 22 a day there for a while, but. Wow. It's 44 a day military personnel in the U.S. that commit suicide. One every almost 33 minutes. Ouch. Yeah. It's crazy. Um, So that was, that was another wake up moment for me. Right. Because now at this point I had made it through all of these things that I had made it through and I wasn't downing on myself, but it was the catalyst, right? It was the wake up moment for, for my furthering my education, for taking this out to the world now because my father just committed suicide. And that was my message from the universe to say, like, you have found all these ways to heal yourself from the most horrendous and impossible things. Why aren't you out there sharing this? Your father could have used what you knew. And I didn't use it to down on myself. I just used it to push myself out into service and to recognize he could have used what you have. Mm. They out there now who are alive can most certainly use what you have found. And you need to get out there and share this. That's serious that, motivation. That was, yeah, that was that was my moment. That was the catalyzation of of this movement now that that I have created Um, it was, it was my choice to take action. And funny enough, there is always, there's never reward without risk. Right. And just as we also know, there's also never, you don't overcome anything without a challenge. So about a month later is when I was also diagnosed with uh, colon cancer stage two. So that was, that was a very interesting point in my life. You know, I had just come back. I had started studying. That's also when I had found uh, Dr. Joe, thankfully, was uh, just shortly after I was diagnosed. I was already on my breath work. I was already really getting back into my yoga, fixed my diet, went vegan, you name it. I did the whole holistic switch once I was diagnosed. And uh, then I was given a book called Becoming Supernatural. And I mixed those two modalities together. And wow, pow, talk about peanut butter and jelly. My breath work, his meditations, holy crap. Um, and so I was, I was going through and within 18 months, full remission on colon stage two. And I did not do the chemo. I did not do the radiation. They were even talking about potential J turn, which is where they cut out six feet of your colon. And now you have a permanent colostomy bag. 
And again, this is not um, medical advice. This is no, no, Leland's same. story. Again, again, yes, these are what <laughs> I did. And, and it, it is all risk and reward. And is, um, I, I tend to lean very holistic myself. And yeah. uh, I, I am very impressed with uh, what happens in the body with the breath work um, and Dr. Joe's work. Uh, but again, this is just, this is a, yep. a story and uh, for educational purposes only. Absolutely. I love that you say that. I do the same thing in my podcast as well. Just making sure everybody knows, just conveying my story. Make sure you consult medical professionals, please. <laughs> um, yeah. So for, for me though, that was, it was a, a 1.93 centimeter tumor that was lodged in the inner colon, uh, right in my sigmoid colon, which is right before your rectum. And those were the options that they gave me. And you can imagine at this point already, I know which way I'm going. Like mm -hmm. you guys aren't going to shake me from mm -hmm. the route that I'm headed. I appreciate all of the suggestions. I'm going to go ahead, dig into my breath work. I immediately started my cancer protocol um, with my diet, with, with everything that I was taking in uh, supplement wise. I was also doing um, RSO, which is Rick Simpson oil suppositories. So I was just the whole holistic approach and of course, breath work being the foundational piece. And now Dr. Joe's meditations. I was, I was doing my breath work and blessing of the energy centers. Like it was going out of style. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, 18 months and full remission, uh, for myself on, on the colon cancer, which was absolutely amazing. And, and what seems to be very, um, I know this is being emphasized a lot at the live retreats that whatever your personal choice is with your medical providers, your professionals, uh, if you choose to go conventional or non-conventional, um, it, it, it helps uh, factors in the blood that, sure. that help both situations. Yes, absolutely. In fact, we have many MS warriors, cancer uh, warriors, and spinal cord warriors. So especially our, our, our cancer warriors, we're talking about cancer right now, that are using some of the conventional approaches but they're also using the breath work and meditation and noticing exponentially better results based on they're giving their body more oxygen. They're meditating and slowing down the brain waves and feeding everything. So yeah, that's, that's a really great point for those that do pick the conventional route because neither of us here judge. I mean, I'm here to help you no matter what, I don't care which route you pick. Um, they can definitely help you out. And, and we are not your medical professionals. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> So, um, that's phenomenal. Uh, and, and from start to finish, from the time you got the diagnosis to the time you uh, presumably, did you get additional blood work or, or imaging yeah. results that showed that there had been a shift in the direction that you wanted? Yeah. I got my full blood profile, CBC and everything else, got the scans and it would, it did well. And I had an interesting, uh, thing that had happened anyways, I had actually passed the tumor and that was kind of when I knew Whoa. it was, it was, it was at first I was like, ah, it kind of freaked me out. And then I realized, oh, did you, did I, uh, this is a disgusting question, but did you save it and show it to your doctors? You better believe I yeah, did. Yeah, I know. <laughs> <laughs> you better believe I did. I know TMI for a lot of people that are out there, but yeah, I, know. Yeah, I, did. I was like, oh my God, you're coming with me. I know. But when it happens to you and you have any kind of scientific uh, brain, yes. it's like, no, this is, this yes. is evidence. And I, I want to know exactly what, what happened. Absolutely. Yeah. No, it was, it was epic. So that was, that was my signal to go in and get my blood profiles done once again. And everything came back. Was your back. doctor shocked? How often have they seen something like this occur? I was one of the first that he had ever seen this, this occur, especially without doing any of the conventional treatments the entire time. Uh, you know, it was VA ran as well. So I didn't really communicate 
a lot with him. But when I came in for my checkups, he was always just blown away. Absolutely. So yeah, you can imagine the end result. He was like, what the hell did you do? (laughs) That's cool. Did it change the trajectory of what he studies or, or gets interested in? Cause I I don't, I I don't know. I haven't honestly kept in touch with that. Yeah. Okay. All right. Yeah. (laughs) Um, So uh, then as fate would have it, you had another physical challenge. When, yeah, when yeah, did that occur? God, yeah. So we've already got 12 books, right, in the making. And then if that weren't enough, uh, 2019, I'm, I'm driving along and it's, it's one of those things where, you know, your phone is in the center console and it's not that you, you looked at the text message. It's just that the notification comes across the screen. So you, you see the person's name. So you, for a second, you look over to see, who the text was from. You don't even check it, but just looking over. And the moment I look back car right in my face, head on car crash. Um, and I came to, again, it was like, well, of course the airbags had gone off. Was this a car that had gone into the opposite lane? It was. Yeah. So basically what happened is, is as I'm driving another car that was coming perpendicular on another street, tried to make a right hand turn from the left hand lane because it was like, a, oops, I was supposed to be over here. So as they tried to turn, inevitably, they were hit by the two cars that they tried to cut off, which sent him screaming Boom. down my lane. So Boom. it just redirected his car. And the moment I looked up, it was like, oh, I got off two words. Oh, crap. And that was it. Well, uh, yeah. So came to again smell of gunpowder in the car i thought someone threw a flashbang at me again um dazed and confused trying to figure out what's going on why is the engine sitting in the passenger seat this is interesting what's happening here and then the uh the paramedics show up the firefighters show up and he opens the door and they're obviously very gently trying to get me out of the car and as they get me out of the car I fall to the ground because there's just nothing. My legs are just completely limp. So they take me down to the ground. And the moment that they get me onto the, the, the ground and lay me flat, I again notice that I have some really extreme pressure in, in about L3, L4, right towards the, the lower side of my back. But then there's nothing below that. <laughs> and I can't move my legs. They're spaghetti right now. So you can imagine what I'm laying on the ground. thinking having spent all that time uh, recovering <laughs> from being a quadriplegic and now you find yourself a paraplegic. <laughs> yes. Yes. So I'm laying on the ground. I'm laying back and pardon my language, but I literally verbalized to the fireman. I was like, you've got to be shitting me. <laughs> that was the only thing I could say. I'm laying on the ground and I immediately there's rush of I just it's like I wanted to scream and cry all at the same time and I'm like you have got to be shitting me right now. I can't feel anything below my waist. Oh my god. So yeah, a little righteous indignation in the moment. Oh, as you can imagine. My lord, and then walk us through that yeah. So, uh, immediately I mean, got it must over have felt it. like Groundhog's Day. <laughs> yes, it did. Absolutely. I felt like Bill Murray there for a little bit or, or Tom Cruise in that edge of tomorrow. The one where he's repeat days over, but it, you know, thankfully I got over it. The moment that they put me into the back of the ambulance, uh, one of the firefighters, I can't even remember the joke. It was some stupid, it was like a dad level joke, right? Like those, those, 
the jokes that are funny, but they're just really dry and dumb. But he told a really funny joke in the moment that he did that. I actually kind of chuckled. And from that point forward, um, I turned this for myself. I turned it to my advantage. And this is where the breath work and all the work that I had done with Dr. Joe, I saw the shift in my persona and my personality and everything Dr. Joe talks about, right? It was my new reality was, was now based on my personality and I wasn't going to let this throw me. So I used that as my chance uh, because I had already had my nonprofit going. I already had um, uh, my yoga work going. So I used this as an opportunity. I videotaped the entire thing. We video chronicled the whole uh, recovery process. And I just, I used that as a chance to show other people like every now and then you got to take a bite out of the doo-doo sandwich. And you know, it's not that you wanted to, and it's not enjoyable, but you don't have to go back for a second bite. Suffering is a choice. And then so that, was, that second recovery process, how long did that take you? Seven months, seven months. And I got it all back. And that was because again, I already knew what to do. I knew what to do. Have this set, have this set, go after it, ignore everything else on the outside, stick to your guns, do what you know you got to do. And let's get this thing going. They released me from the hospital in two weeks. I was back home working with my physical therapist, uh, over at, uh, driven in, um, uh, Vegas there run by Sam Schmidt, who's also a, a quadriplegic. Um, so did my, my physical therapy. And within seven months I was, I was on a walker, but I, I count that I was still walking. <laughs> so maybe God was saying, Hey, you didn't get the footage from the first time. <laughs> that, that, Make sure you, you know film this one. <laughs> I have, it's funny. I've said that to my fiance and I've also talked to my friends about it and they all agree too. They were like, you had no photo or visual evidence on the first one. All you have is medical stuff stating all your things. Now you had a chance to record it. <laughs> oh, Lord. Oh, gosh. Wow, wow, wow. Yeah. Um, so, Leland, give us an update. What are you teaching? Uh, yeah. How do people get in touch with you? How do they... Um, I mean, this has been absolutely amazing. Uh, thank you for for recapping all of this with us. Uh, yeah, yeah, my so, pleasure. So, if people want to experience it, where do they go? Yes, you can uh, check out our website, which is thewillfulwarrior.org. Uh, we also have our uh, WhatsApp community, which is an open and free community. It's a support community that we have. Um, and that one is www.willfulwarrior.community. So if you type that in, you'll find the WhatsApp group. You can come in, ask questions. We're actually doing breath work in there all the time. They do this. Yeah, I know. Uh, I'm, I'm, I did your Zoom boom room. You like it? Yeah, yeah. So you see no, they it's do great it like and everybody just loves it. You get on every half an yeah. hour and do your thing and, you know, share your experiences. And it takes seconds. I mean, it right. literally is amazing how nice a break you can get. It's like better than a cup of coffee by far. I love it. I love it. Yeah. Yeah. It's cool. It's a really and cool it's free. thing. So. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yes. We welcome anybody to come in there and join us. And if anybody ever wants any information, they can reach out. Uh, the, the email is uh, the willful warrior at Gmail. You can reach out. We have a couple of different programs. Uh, our new one, Awaken the Warrior Within is a full 12 week transformation. Uh, and for our Dr. Joe students, I know that they'll love the healing breathwork fundamentals that we have, which is 
akin to our progressive and intensive. Just like if you don't do the progressive and intensive, you won't understand Dr. Joe's work. Healing breathwork fundamentals is our basic fundamental course so that you can understand what's happening inside of the body. Like I'm, I go into full neuro nerd mode inside of this course and break down what's happening with the over 1400 chemicals that you're creating and uh, what's literally happening inside of the body the specific breath types that I used to create the welcome home method, which is the name of the breath technique and uh, ways that you can create it. And then all, all kinds of amazing guided practices that we'll have. So oh, fantastic. Well, and all- also the, the willful warrior YouTube, there's a couple of free expressions on there that people can try out as well. So. Fantastic. And that'll all be in the show notes. Uh, awesome. Leland, thank you so much uh, for sharing your incredible journey from you know, going through uh, all the military background and the training and uh, having to recover from being a quadriplegic and then a paraplegic uh, using yoga practices and breath work. Thank you so much for being here on Next Level Healing. Thank you for Folks, having if me. If you got value from this, please click like and subscribe. Check Leland out in the show notes and how to get in touch with him. And thank you so much for being here on this episode of Next Level Healing. Thanks for joining us for this episode of Next Level Healing. Please like, subscribe, and let us know how this helped you. How can it be even more life-changing? We love hearing from you. And if you're eager to upgrade your life, click the button here or go to consultterra.com and get your free customized GPS map. Get the coordinates for where you are now and where you want to go. Clients consistently report it's faster and easier than they thought possible. Remember, you were meant for more, and it is available to you. See you right here next week for our next episode.